So I'm um, an associate professor in, at University of Toronto, and I'm an associate scientist at the Lunenfeld Research Institute. And uh, my lab is mainly focused on stem cells and the different diseases. Dr. Rogers, walk us through why cord blood stem cells collected from umbilical cord blood after a baby is born hold so much interest for medical scientists looking for new therapies. So they have been using umbilical cord blood for therapy to treat blood-based diseases. The first patient was dosed in 1988. That person is still alive. It was uh, a five-year-old boy who had Fanconi anemia, and the only way to cure him would be with a blood transplant. And at the time, there were no matched donors for him. That's Dr. Sue Mueller, Inception Life Bank's scientific director. His mom was expecting a child. They did the typing on the baby. The sibling was going to be a perfect match, so they collected the cord blood and they arranged the transplant. It was a success, and from then, we've gone on more and more to develop cord blood banking, cord blood transplantation. Since then, they've done 40,000 transplants with umbilical cord blood. Most of them are are for blood-based diseases. Those 40,000 transplants have been performed for over 80 different diseases. That includes cancers, solid tumors, and metabolic disorders. But what role does cord blood play in treating these conditions? So the cord blood's not necessarily directly treating the disease, but it's helping the patient recover. So if we consider cancer as an example, in pediatric settings? In order to treat that cancer, they do very aggressive treatment on these kids. One of the things that the treatments do, because it's radiation and it's chemotherapy, is it wipes out their bone marrow. So now these kids are prone to infection and they need a transplant uh, as a co-therapy just to help them recover from the treatment So their own cord blood is ideal. It's a perfect match. So it's logical to give those cells back. So we understand that this is where the stem cells from cord blood come in. And we know from our previous discussions with Dr. Christine Peters that they're given to the patient after chemotherapy to help rebuild their blood system. Dr. Sue Mueller is able to offer additional perspectives on the topic of using a child's own cord blood versus using cord blood from another source. So cord blood has been used in the treatment of over 80 diseases, and that cord blood has come from unrelated donors, sibling donors, and from the child who's being treated. It depends on what the disease is. For solid tumors, autologous cord blood would be the optimal choice. It's a 100% match, perfect match for the child from which it was collected from. Um, And these are conditions where the cancer which is being treated is not originating from the blood. If a child has uh, a blood disease, disorder, those are conditions where we would look towards a sibling donor cord blood unit. And these are diseases such as leukemias, anemias, hemoglobinopathies. This is typically where it's thought that the disease is within the blood itself. Those are ones you would use a sibling cord blood unit versus your own. This raises an important question. If a child or their sibling doesn't store, what are the chances of finding the right matching blood from an unrelated source? So for that, we'll rely on Canadian Blood Services, who manages the Canadian stem cell donor registry, and they report 
that on any given day, there are hundreds of Canadians in need of a stem cell transplant. So the first thing they are gonna look at is your siblings, do you have a match within your family? 25% will find a match within their family. If you don't have a match, that's when you go to your unrelated registries and hope you can find a match. Whether or not you find a match, the odds of finding a match depends on what your ethnic background is. Some groups are much better represented on these international registries. Others are more challenged to find a match. This is as good a time as any to make sure we understand what stem cells are. We might remember from grade nine biology that we learned our whole body is made up of cells, skin cells, brain cells, blood cells, muscle cells, bone cells. Well, stem cells are version 1.0. They're like a college student that hasn't chosen their major. They haven't specialized yet. But when a stem cell divides, each new cell can either become another stem cell or take on a more specialized role. For example, blood stem cells can divide and become specialized red blood cells, which carry oxygen or they can become immune cells that protect us from infection. This is what makes them a cellular repair service. It's the properties of cord blood making them a repair service, which has generated all the interest in what else cord blood cells may be used for. They're used for life-saving conditions now, but can we use them for life-changing conditions in the future? This is where Dr. Rogers focuses all of his attention at Mount Sinai. Really, the stem cell field has been moving along now for 40 years. There's a lot of people, um, we're talking thousands of people worldwide, spending millions of dollars developing this technology. One of those people Dr. Rogers is referring to is Dr. Courtney McDonald. I'm a research scientist down in Melbourne in Australia. Most of my work is looking at cord blood stem cells to treat brain injury in babies. Brain injuries suffered in the womb or during birth are often later diagnosed as cerebral palsy. These children can have lots of motor and posture problems when they grow up and can have developmental delays in their learning. And it's more common than many of us would think. About one in every 400 babies in Canada is born with CP. Unfortunately, a lot of them aren't diagnosed until they're about one or two years of age. They will start uh, rehabilitation, so they'll do lots of physio um, and intense exercises, uh, but that's really their only option. Recently, stem cell therapy has been introduced as a treatment option for some children. So there's been a few trials which have shown that it's feasible and it's safe. But now we're really trying to work as a scientist to understand how we can make it effective in future clinical trials. What we're really focusing on and we think the future of cord blood research is actually identifying these babies within a few days after birth and giving cord blood stem cells then. So we're trying to protect their brains as a way to prevent them getting cerebral palsy. We've looked at a lot of the research that Dr. McDonald shared with us, and there are a number of ongoing clinical trials investigating the use of cord blood in neurological conditions, including both cerebral palsy and autism. 
Of particular note is that in 2017, the FDA in the United States approved an expanded access protocol at Duke University. This allows patients with brain disorders to more readily access umbilical cord blood infusions. Children with autism, for example, or CP, once approved by Duke, can be infused with either their own or a sibling's cord blood unit in an attempt to treat their disorder. Back in Toronto with Dr. Rogers, we're understanding other key considerations for the use of umbilical cord cells in treatments today and in the future. The volume of cord blood collected is one of those important factors. Cord blood, it's only what's there in the cord. You you can't go back and, and get more. So based on how many stem cells you need per kilogram of body weight, uh, it's limited to pediatric patients. We pushed Dr. Rogers to learn more about this, to figure if the total number of cells in a cord blood sample might be a limiting factor in its use. And while, yes, this may limit its use in children, there are companies developing stem cell expansion to increase the number of stem cells in a given unit. One company is a Canadian company called Exelthera. Dr. Rogers explained. They've come up with a way to expand the cord blood stem cells. They can basically take a cord blood sample, put it in a dish, grow the stem cells, and uh, have it equivalent to 10 or 12 different cords. So they've done clinical trials. This is their clinical trial study has been very successful. This is very promising because what it means is that um, right now when someone uses their cord blood, it's, it's one shot. You, you take all the cells, you use it, and that's the end of it. Um, what Thera technology allows with the expansion is that you don't have to use a whole cord. You could probably expand it up and use 20% of it to treat an adult and have another 80% for other people. So for people who are banking privately, um, it allows them to have their sample for a number of family members. It, it just adds basically more value. So this is very powerful technology. I clarified with Dr. Rogers what this means. I can summarize it by saying that the technologies he's talking about will enable larger cord blood cell doses for therapy, which makes the treatment more effective. In the future, that might mean we can have multiple cell doses from a single cord blood unit for a patient or family. Given the progress with such things as multiplying cells from a cord blood collection, we asked Dr. Rogers if there are other important breakthrough technologies that are changing the horizon in cellular therapies, and what he's undertaking in his lab is mind-blowing. So our goal is to take cord blood cells and then make a kidney from that. So, you know, right now we're, for example, we're at the stage of scaling up. We, we actually are using pig kidneys because they're the same size as human kidneys. And we're using them to engineer human kidneys. And so we have to grow up billions of cells instead of hundreds of thousands of cells. So, yeah, if it works, yeah, it'll be huge. So, as we sit here today, can we believe that in the future we'll be growing our own organs using new cells that are derived from the cells we source from cord blood? To embrace that idea is making a bet on medical science. I'm biased, obviously, but yes, I, I think it's a good bet. Um, just look at the history of things we've done in, in the last 10 years and then the last 20 and the last 50. Things move exponential. So to me, this is just logical. Uh, it's, it's a no-brainer. 
Dr. Mueller backs up Dr. Rogers' optimism when she talks about where the cells are going for use. So over the past five years, approximately 80% of our cord blood units have been released for use in the field of regenerative medicine. So that's for clinical trials in cerebral palsy, autism, type 1 diabetes. So prior to 2015, only about 25% of our cord blood releases were used for regenerative medicine applications. Historically, cord blood has been seen by the medical world as an alternative for bone marrow transplants. We expect that cord blood will be utilized to treat a broader range of conditions that impact people's quality of life. This has been What Are the Chances, a podcast by Inception, Canada's leader in cord blood and cord tissue storage. You probably have a dozen questions about timing and cost. Answers to those questions and more are available on Inception's website, inscepton.com. Additional cord blood storage information is also available at parentsguidetocordblood.org. Cord blood.